sometimes it takes doing the exact opposite to actually reaffirm why you're doing the thing you're doing. And, and that's kind of what I would say is a, a central theorem that you can base the utility of an altered state of consciousness as a whole is, is to provide that sense of variation in understanding your limits as a human to make rational decisions. Hello and welcome back to the Certain Uncertainty Podcast, episode 12, and today we have a very fun topic that I will let Joe introduce. So today we're going to be exploring and kind of looking through what it means to have an altered state of consciousness, somewhat building off of the previous episode talking about John's book, but then also thinking about how we can describe what is an ideal or desirable altered state of consciousness and potentially how we could achieve these in our lives. So I think just to get started, we want to define what is an altered state of consciousness in case you missed out on last week's episode. And then from there, we'll probably refer to them as ASCs going forward just to save some, some words. But an altered state of consciousness is an either elongated or exponentiated form of how you analyze, review, and interpret your own feelings and actions within your life and those feelings and actions which are imposed upon you from the outside world. And then from these, how you take these new feelings and actions in an altered state of consciousness and either superimpose them on your previous feelings and mental frameworks and how we can either change or adjust those that we have going forward. Yeah, I think that's a great way to introduce it. And uh, you know, I'll, I'll stop right there on, on altered state of consciousness because in, in a process, you can kind of think through it as generating a different person in, in a sense, uh, uh, someone that is interpreting the world in a different way than was just moments ago, I would say is a completely different organism in a sense. They're being sent signals throughout their body that are atypical. And that atypical process then basically elevates them to a different personhood. Um, and, and so I just kind of wanted to mention that, that you're essentially experimenting with the idea of becoming a different person uh, is a one way you can simplify altered state of consciousness if you're curious. And, and yeah, so, I mean, let's, let's kind of jump into, you know, first setting the stage, setting all the different types of these altered states of consciousness. Um, and then we'll kind of go into figuring out what aspects of those states of mind are actually valuable and conducive to more or less unlocking version 2.0 of who you are, if that's the goal. Right. Um, so you know, let's just kind of jump into the types here. And uh, I'd be curious because you were doing some reading on this uh, as far as how we classically define these altered states of consciousness. And, and I'd be curious to hear what you found there as far as the types. So from from literature and what's widely regarded within psychology, there's a couple different interpretations of ASCs and how we label them, what we identify them as and where you can find them. So some of the most common ones that I found doing the research was in a waking mode versus a sleep mode are the two primary differentiators because within your sleep, you have different levels of sleep where you're in REM, deep sleep, dream sleep. And then in your waking mode, you have kind of the idling process that you sit at most of the time, but then given other uh, factors such as meditation or even going further down that as like hypnosis or even chemical induced ASCs, you now move into more of a um, introspective or somewhat mental um, 
kaleidoscope. And that's one of my favorite metaphors that I like to think about when analyzing the normal state versus an altered state of consciousness is if you were to take a kaleidoscope looking into your own mind in a normal state, it looks like a colorful jumble of, of random patterns and colors rather than when you achieve an altered state of consciousness. It is like looking at it with a telescope where you can now zoom in and identify and look at specific details or maybe observe new patterns or new celestial bodies if you wanted to go down that route about what we're actually looking at within yourself. So this is what I have found and what we looked at in, in some of the common terminology. And from these, it's now trying to identify in especially the waking mode, which is the one that we will, we will describe with, because obviously we're, we're, we're not going to be talking about what your dreams should be and get into a, a dream-like analysis. But in the waking mode, what is the desirable alter state of consciousness and finding a desirable state means understanding what your goals and achievements are. What are you aiming at and why are you desiring an ASC in order to get there or to help facilitate you in your tools to get there? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That, that contrast between sleep and non-sleep, uh, is, is great because there is still at least some conscious circuitry that still has to be evolved or expanded on before we really get into understanding what is it to mean to have an unconscious altered state of consciousness. <laughs> and that's kind of a tongue twister there, but yeah, for the, for the sake of this, this podcast, really the conscious attributes, um, and, and maybe we can just, just start it with some task orientation, uh, because we really need a task in order to optimize accordingly to figure out what a state of mind that can do some set of tasks, uh, can, can be optimized for. Um, so, you know, in, in context of, let's say, let's keep it really simple as humans, we are really social creatures. So let's, let's talk about some relationship building states of consciousness. I think that's kind of ground one. That's, you know, that's something that I think most people will find commonality with as a, as a general task that we all do and, and we all need. We, we, we really need the presence of others, a uh, presence of a community in order to escape the uh, abyss of loneliness, perhaps, or that, that, that deep feeling of, of distraught in which you feel like you don't have any connection to any entity or human group or whatever it is. And so maybe we can just kind of discuss what attributes define a person who's ready to make relationships. That's super interesting. I think if we were to look at the attributes of someone who is eager or excited to make relationships because that is such a fundamental concept and principle with human nature and human evolution as a whole is we crave and require the presence of a community and how we share things and how we partner together and collaborate in order to achieve different um, goals. So I think the qualities of someone who would be eager in meeting um, the, the requirements to find new relationships would probably be a level of extroversion. And to avoid going too far into the personality factors of it, it probably relies heavily on an aspect of extroversion, but also somewhat um, vulnerability, because that is a way, a primary way in which we form relationships is showing some sort of vulnerability, which in turn results in developing trust. And if you show levels of vulnerability within yourself and things that um, other people are entrusted with because now they know something that is not necessarily a weakness, but um, may be detrimental to your prolongment or your survival. Um, that in itself creates trust within communities. And then through trust, we create reliance and from reliance support and a wider network of resources in order to establish some sort of a, a security and preventing risk. 
Mm. I, th- I thought what you said there about not including personality is, is relevant to kind of jump on really quickly. And we did discuss this in our episode six, six wearing masks. But the way I would perceive uh, altered state of consciousness is basically as a mask of you have this self, this person that personality traits, and you already have some elevated or minimized values of your own personality. And that these altered state of consciousness are, like you said before, kind of going to exasperate some of those elements of who you are. And so, you know, this is something to also keep in mind in the context, at least when orienting yourself socially, because if you're a heavily introverted person, well, that's something to keep aware of, right? Because you're going to be looking for traits that optimize extroversion rather than anything else. And this is something very important. This is why it's very idiosyncratic. And as we, as we go throughout this episode, you're, you're going to notice that we're not really going to you know suggest any specific chemical that you should take because like... It could depend on any of the different individuals actually wanting to achieve some altered state of mind, depending on what prerequisite factors of that personality constitute some optimization pathway or uh, outcome altered state of consciousness. Um, so just just briefly wanted to note that and then kind of jump back into the social thing. It's like, well, it's a little bit complicated because when you're forming new relationships with individuals, you also want to emphasize at least some rewards intrinsically within yourself or else you're not going to be motivated to continue the conversation and to continue build that conversation. So if if really the goal is to just generate new relationships, right, regardless of what individual you're even referring to, what I would say is you'd be wanting some kind of dopaminergic activation or some kind of reward mechanism throughout the process. So you'd want something that that somewhat emphasizes a dopaminergic value, um, but doesn't necessarily remove the ability to empathize either, right? So you're basically in this relationship with another individual then where you're constantly being rewarded by yourself talking to the individual, which sounds weird, right? That we have to kind of reward ourselves while we're talking and that some individuals not may not be able to give us that intrinsic reward throughout the conversation. So there's that. And then there is the actual empathy, you know, to have a conversation, it needs to be a two-way street. And so you need to be able to, at least at some level, understand a person. So we have basically two different types of chemicals that I'm referring to here. We want kind of a dopaminergic uh, process, you know, it can be a little bit minor, just to kind of keep that motivation going throughout the context of the conversation. But then you also want to have a heightened sense of empathy perhaps. And and this is more so the line of serotonergic neurotransmitter processes. And so it's kind of this delicate balance of what I would say, optimizing your serotonergic over your dopaminergic, but you don't want to minimize the dopamine too, too little, right? Or else you're not going to have the rewards. And, you know, it's funny because now, as I just said, that we're not going to basically give you any drugs. I'm actually referencing a specific drug with this, which is MDMA. MDMA is something that stimulates the serotonergic more than it does the dopamine, but it still has that dopamine activity. And and it's interesting because MDMA is one of the best ways to actually interact and build relationships while you're on the chemical. If you've ever taken MDMA, it's like you can talk to anyone, you can form a relationship with anyone. Why is that? Why is that? What is the altered state of consciousness that's produced from MDMA that allows you to think that way? And so that's kind of how I would use that as an example here to kind of optimize those different pathways. You know, and, and 
And again, depending on the individual, you could, you know, use maybe caffeine instead. You already have that empathetic ability. All you really need is the dopamine. You need that reward to kind of keep you going through the conversation, right? And so that's part of it too. Maybe, maybe you've already got the empathy on lock, so you don't need that extra serotonergic activation. So you just optimize for the dopamine here. And, and obviously it's a lot more complicated than just, you know, neurotransmitter here and neurotransmitter there. There's lots of other auxiliary mechanisms down the chain, but just from a principal point of view, I think it's very interesting to kind of think about orienting yourself with these altered states of consciousness with your own prerequisite personalities in mind. Certainly. And I think as just a note, as we said earlier in this episode um, on, on the podcast and between both of us, we do not encourage nor condone any use of illicit substances whatsoever. And all of the anecdotal um, stories and evidences that we pull from are purely anecdotal from research and other reports that are currently being put out in the scientific community and in available, publicly available novels and forums. So again, we do not encourage or condone any of the use of uh, neuro neurochemicals, illicit substances, or anything without um, advising with your medical provider. So on that, it is one of the most interesting chemicals coming out in literature and research right now with MDMA as well as caffeine and how these um, substances within a guided um, session or meditation can elicit these different ASCs. And when we look at some of the mo most core fundamentals of community building, of relationship building, and how the brain creates levels of opening up and trust and development and connection between one or more people, it is fascinating to see how we can uh, systematically kind of peel back these layers to not only ask the questions of why is it challenging for one individual compared to any other, because every single person is individual in this process and in this journey. But as we peel back the layers to try and understand and ask these questions, why is it challenging for one person more than the other to form relationships, to relate to other people, to maintain relationships and accomplish these goals of creating one's personal community? And especially as we start to look at the differences in personality traits like extroversion versus introversion, first and foremost, none of these are better or worse than the other. They are all individually different. And there are so many combinations of other personality factors that can play into making up who a person is. Each one of the individual personality traits that we can include are one, not only incomprehensive, but two, vastly important in their own way. So if you are a highly introverted or extroverted person, that is not detracting or, or bad in any way. In fact, it is a unique quality of a personality which should be championed. And not only are these unique qualities important, what's even more important is understanding how you reflect upon your own personality characteristics and build off of the strengths that come from those. And weaknesses, though. Exactly. Understanding both are wildly important. And that self-actualization and awareness process of going through these experiments, whether they be from um, chemically-assisted uh, sessions, or if you're looking at different types of, you know, caffeine or stimulants in life, like exercise in itself provides incredible stimulants for your brain and development, as well as drinking caffeine, which is a synthetic derivative of something that our brain recognizes. It begs the question, how do we quantify, but also identify the levels that exist on this path and also which is a, a minimum threshold that we can start making a lasting difference. If I have, if I have just the tiniest teaspoon of say coffee, I'm not going to feel very awake. I'm not going to feel the effects of this caffeine. And since every single different chemical has a different threshold 
of impact and in a threshold of lasting impact. It's interesting as we start to approach this new field of looking at, okay, so if, if you wanted to take, say, MDMA, for example, um, or caffeine or whatever the different substances in question, how can you quantify the substance in its maybe therapeutic or uh, effective threshold and looking at how we can use this without achieving or, or without avoiding the, the neurotoxic effects that may come with many of these. Yeah. I, I, I was looking up a, a quote here in the meantime, but I think it's by Paracelsus and, uh, it paraphrasing here, it basically asserts that all things are, are poisons, the, or at least in the context of drugs, all things are poison. The dosage alone is what makes something a poison, a medicine. Right. It's, it's in the transition of getting that dose right that we arise that something can can be poison at this level, but then a medicine at this other level. And this is where it gets interesting, because achieving an altered state of consciousness for some individuals could be poisonous, but it could be a medicine for another. And this is the idiosyncratic nature of our own uh, weaknesses and strengths as, as, a, as, as according to our own personality traits. And so that's, you know, in, in the context of the, the social relationship building that we used as an example, it's, it's really identifying where those weaknesses are, where, and then, then optimizing accordingly to, to at least play around with the idea of what happens if I didn't have that weakness, what would be the output if I was actually being rewarded throughout this conversation at regular intervals, right? Like almost like a, a rat in a cage, right? It's like, you're going to continue running around the wheel, but only if you get, you know, these little rewards of, of sugar water every hour or whatever. Um, and, and so it's like, well, what, what is the sugar water for you? Uh, what is that motivating factor? And, and, and it's more than just dopamine. A lot of people will just say it's like, you know, the dopamine is just a kind of global neurotransmitter that has lots of other causal effects. And so, you know, there's lots of other ways in which you can achieve getting more dopamine as well in your body. And, and this is kind of the thing. It's like, you know, don't always look at drugs as a, as a means to achieve altered states of consciousness, right? Cause it, because it, you can get scary thinking about, okay, well, I've never taken this drug. How's that going to make me feel? But we also have have lots of other techniques like exercising, for example, which maybe you're a little bit paranoid throughout the day and that you'd like to escape your sober, sober paranoid self. And so you want to get maybe a little bit numbing to that. So go for a run. You're going to get your natural opioids fired up and then you're going to use those endorphins at some level to calm your, your heart rate. And, and that heart rate is then going to cause these other things and put you into a different altered state of consciousness that's perhaps less paranoid. And so like that's the whole the whole framing of how I think you should think about these things. It depends what goal you're trying to achieve at, at any moment's notice. And and there's lots of other things that you can that you can play around with, like in in the field of nootropics. And I don't know how much we want to get into exactly what nootropics there are and how to make stacks and all that good stuff. But the idea here is to show you that there's lots of these variables that you can tweak subtly and you can change them subtly to realize their impact on you and to achieve this, this desirable altered state of consciousness that you might that you might want or that you might, you know, and this is where it's tough because I can't recommend an altered state of consciousness. I can't recommend it because I don't know what what current chemicals constitute your own neurobiology, uh, and so that's the, that's the, that's the non formulaic problem here. Um, so I'd be curious, what, what would you say about that that non formulaic you know pursuit here? Well, I mean, it's it's everyone's different. So every, and not only is that the simplest way to put it, everyone being different, but also understanding um, 
the way that we convey resources in general as a society to to different groups of people and not only collectively show what the resources available are, but also try and show how they could and should be used depending on the given situation that any one individual is in. And I think it's tremendously important for us to reiterate what you had said before from that quote is that nothing is free in any context whatsoever, whether it's different neurochemicals you're trying to enhance, whether it's different habits you're trying to bring into your life or different chemicals you're trying to um, take advantage of in order to achieve an ASE, nothing is free. And everything comes at some sort of a price and the value of that price is wildly variant on whatever it is you're trying to experiment with. But when looking at how we approach the development of um, creating habits or at least different levels of, of chemicals that we want to identify and um, enhance within our own lives, it has to be from a systematic approach. You must recognize from a base level, find the cornerstone of how your foundation individually is built. No one, no one else but yourself can tell you how your own foundation is built. And from there, begin to relay the foundation or at least find the structure that will be able to stand on the foundation that you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, I mean, maybe we can kind of discuss a little bit about, because I mean, the desirable alter states of consciousness is tough. There's, there's inherent variation in desire. And so maybe we can quickly establish some non-desirable alter states of consciousness because that is a little bit more black and white perhaps and in, in, in that you know you don't want to be addicted to the, to the to the alter state of consciousness if you get addicted to it then you become dependent and then you build all sorts of bad habits in that you are essentially making yourself weaker so i think what's what's really interesting and important is from from the perspective of becoming addicted to anything that can provide an asc it needs to be addressed from how the individual went into it, whether that establishment of an ASC was from a escape perspective or from a progressive perspective and how that was utilized in the first place. Because while it can happen that it can start as a progressive form of um, development that can turn sour and move into an addictive or an escape action, it can also start from the core as initially being an escape without framing it as it being a progressive movement toward a better state of consciousness. And then from there, there's a whole other slew of problems that come from the establishment of a an escaping perspective that can very easily turn into addiction if if manipulated and used in the wrong way. Yeah, I think that's a good branching point there as as the level of escapism that that altered state of consciousness or ASC as we've been saying, as that ASC gives or elicits or whatever. And you have to seriously ask yourself the question, what is it that I'm trying to escape from? Because if you're trying to escape from something, that likely means that there are goals that you've set for yourself that are unestablished or else you wouldn't feel the need to escape from them. And, and so maybe maybe the goal in the escapist mindset is an altered state of consciousness that, that makes them feel more present, for example. Um, something like, uh, you know, something that's, that's rewarding, that gives you that sense of reward, but it also builds in a sense of, of maybe you would say community, um, cause community can be motivating and, and build that sustainable reward circuitry as well. And if you're, if you're constantly looking for an escape, my, my question then with, with those alter state of consciousness is well, simply, well, what is it that you want to escape from? Right. And, and how, how long are you looking to escape from with this state of mind? And maybe that's your use case. 
Um, and, and maybe that in itself is not a desirable altered state of consciousness. They're in the escapism, right? If you're using these drugs as that escape, then, you know, take a second, realize that and, and you know, take the next steps to, to, to realize that that is a weakness for yourself. Well, I'm not even, I wouldn't even classify it as a weakness more. So it is, is a, is a chronic, um, result of trauma that many people have probably experienced who have resulted in, in finding these ASCs or tools to an ASC. That is, that is the only escape that they have from the, the recurring trauma that they've experienced, which is unfortunately very, very common in this city, in this country, and, and probably across the globe and how people utilize different tools or, or, or chemicals or ASCs to, escape something that, that they have experienced in their life. But, um, focusing on the, the positive aspect, or at least the progressive aspect that can come from these and describing what, uh, a beneficial or at least, um, developmental ASC is from my own perspective. It's looking at how we can address, um, aspects of not only multitasking and, and focusing on the, the many streams of development that are constantly whizzing past us at, at, tremendous speeds all the time in life because so often one of the greatest pieces of wisdom people depart upon us as they grow into to old age is is that aspect of living in the moment becoming present and this is um, preached heavily from different meditation um, professionals and people who have who have gone and practiced and studied it is the the aspect of presence and living in the moment and and then from there building out this perspective and sight on how you see your future and how you build a future that is desirable to you, but also how you reflect on your own past and, and answering these questions of why you are today the way you are and where you hope to take that and what you hope to change. And it is both um, incredibly important to address the ideal future that you want and also the most unideal future that you want, because analyzing and verbalizing both of those is useful in themselves. And then from there, what I would see is, is even for myself, some of the most beneficial ASCs is an aspect of um, high level multitasking because I can never stay idle with my own hands. I'm always doing things. I'm always thinking about new things, almost to, to a flaw at times where I try and imagine and, and create too many things for myself to deal with that, you know, one more drop in the bucket and the whole bucket tips over. So these, these levels of, of maybe you would classify that as productivity or even, um, the balance of, of pseudo anxiety versus, um, hyper productivity. However, I would want to classify it. It's, it's trying to maintain the threshold of, of control over numerous things at the same time. Mm, mm -hmm. and, and sometimes the best way to continue having control is to give it up. Mm. And that's the trickiest altered state of consciousness, uh, ASC to reach really. Cause if you reach an ASC where you're constantly devolving your thoughts around control, 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 you forget in the, in the process, what it is that you're controlling because you're focused on the method of control rather than the entity of control. And so sometimes taking a step back when you're in those positions is decontrolling your control, right? It, it's, it's like, okay. Let's stop controlling and just think about what I'm controlling, right? Not the method, thinking about the entities now. And that, that's like, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe you can make the claim that obsession is good for a period of time, 
But at the same time, if you find yourself becoming obsessed or addicted, because those are more or less the same, it's always just as good to present the exact contrapositive to the mind as a way of, of elevating perspective as to what it is that you're trying to optimize for and what you're trying to control. And, and this is, a, I think, one of the most valuable hypotheses that we can make about ASCs is that an ASC is valuable in so much as it contradicts your current one. ASC is valuable in so much as it contradicts your current one. That's an interesting framework. And I think as we, we reflect on how you achieve an ASC, whether it be temporary or permanent or understanding the lasting effects of an ASC, it's kind of fun to try and imagine what your favorite state of being would look like. So if I were to make a, a laundry list of all of the things that I'm proud of in myself and then all the things that I want to work on in myself and then try and almost like play a word game where I connect the dots to each side and try and see which one of these are actually related and how many of these are on the same pathway. Are they, are they leading from one to the other? Are they factors within one another? What matrix can I create? And it's a very analytical way of looking at it. But I think in the, the goal of trying to maximize your ideal ASC to create the unaltered S state of consciousness. What is your unaltered state of consciousness that you want to maintain? And while there are different chemicals and tools that people can use to reach this, there's also the slow progression of daily habits and developments that people can enact to, to slowly work toward this. And I think a lot of these are what are coming into light today. And some of the things that have fascinated both John and I the most over the past couple of years. Right. Right. And just jumping off of that, it's like, you do things for a reason. Why do you do them and not these other things? Well, you haven't tried out those other things. So maybe you need an ultra state of consciousness to try out those other things to then justify further what your non-ASC is doing. Sometimes it takes doing the exact opposite to actually reaffirm why you're doing the thing you're doing. And that's kind of what I would say is a central theorem that you can base the utility of an ASC as a whole is, is to provide that sense of variation in understanding your limits as a human to make rational decisions. Uh, and, and that's a really key thing. It's that we as humans are constantly imperfect and that's totally cool because we have a pursuit that guides us. It's not the perfection. It's the pursuit of some variation that allows you to operate at a higher level. And no matter what situation you're in, true human adaptability, perhaps, is how you could think of the utility here. So I think I think from from an analytical perspective of looking at all of these different ASCs and and how one could possibly approach the daunting challenge of thinking, have I explored all the things that I need to explore? Maybe I'm following that 80-20 rule that I've done 80% of the work and I just have to, you know, assume that the other 20% will be somewhat trivial. But I think the truly the best way that anyone could get started in trying to affirm their own or explore more ASCs are honestly just literature and, and books and the vast, great, fantastic books that exist at, at the drop of a hat that have encapsulated so many people's thoughts and philosophies and wisdoms and histories and analyses of themselves into a story that you can dive into. It essentially lets you think with someone else's brain, which is an ASC. And then begin layering on top of that, the, the added effect of, you know, caffeine or different chemicals people use as, as additions to 
the way they approach these problems. I mean, there are some teas that are readily available that if you drink enough of, it will, it will give you some, some altered state of consciousness. And it's, it's so interesting to try and understand how our brains work within this realm of expanding our frame of reference while approaching a new idea. And it's also fascinating to think compared to say your younger self for the number of people who have reread a book that they read when they were, you know, an adolescent or a teen as an adult. And you come away with an incredibly different perspective of that book than the first time you read it. And you're like, this means so much more to me now because I'm either more aware of how I'm relating to these ideas or I'm more aware of how I want to interpret this story into my own life. It's so interesting. Yeah, books are a instilling of a new alternative consciousness in a sense. It's one that you keep in your pocket, though. That's the difference. It's not one that's temporal, one that that is constantly changing. And and it, one, one thing you did say, which was interesting, I, I think it's when you have this ASC as a different person, it's not a person that, that exists, that already exists, because you still have your own idiosyncratic biology and you're overlaying a new modeling system. So regardless of that modeling system exists or not already, it's not about that. It's that you're presenting a different model that your brain is then going to use to perceive reality, to provide justifications and rationales for yourself to appropriate and associate things you do with moral good, perhaps. I mean, that, that might be a central, central axis that, that, that these these states can be valuable and profitable is that they, they allow your moral compass to continue pointing the right direction. Um, and, and I mean, that, that's, that's really where, where it comes down to. And, and you don't have to ever take an ASC if you don't want to, if you have great justifications for why you do the things you do, that's great. Right. And, and, and but if you don't, if you don't necessarily know every reason or why you're doing this as it aligns to your moral compass, you might consider using an ASC every once in a while. And, and, and that might be your, your use case. I guess I'm just trying to think through all the different use cases. Like when, what state am I in when I need this, when I need this change of perspective, when do I need this paradigm shift? Is it when all, all shit's gone bad hell? Well, that actually might produce a bit worse result, right? Because now you're in a terrible setting and a terrible context and that you, you even further get lost in this rabbit hole. And so maybe it's like when you're feeling great, you know, maybe that's the time you need a perspective shift. Well, I think even as you just said, the negative things, when, when all is going horribly and all of those crumbling aspects of, of life that may be going on can in and of itself put you in a negative ASC and then making a decision in that really poor negative ASC could in fact be a, a bad decision or an impulsive decision where you're not actually looking for the, the next best decision. You're just looking for variety. You're just looking for the next change that will, that will bring you out of wherever you are now. And there needs to be somewhat of a filter in the approach of evaluating an ASC so that when you recognize that you're in one, whether good or bad, will the decision that you make within one impact the, the greater scope of your life. Like if you're in a fantastic state and you just won the lottery and you decide to quit your job tomorrow, when you realize that you won't actually get paid out this full amount, until the next 30 years. And you're like, wait, I actually needed that job. And you know, the, the, the analyses of how you make your decision in an ASC, whether good or bad, should be layered on top of other um, introspective factors within, within a, someone's life. Mm -hmm. but, but from there, when, when we look at 
how you said you, you take an ASC as a, as almost like it's a, a drink of water, you know, taking an ASC or achieving one, it's, it's on the a spectrum of how you can take a foot in that, in that ocean. And I think it starts with things as simple as books and literature and something that anyone can pick up and then moving into some of the more introspective and directed ways to achieve it, which, you know, start with things like yoga and then go into meditation and then guided meditation. And then further along that you begin the, the artificial or at least guided aspects of it, where you use different nootropics, which are just uh, chemicals that impact your, your cognitive state. And then from there, um, evaluating these tools in a way that they, they maintain functionality rather than recreation and then from there, a guided or at least directed path of where you're going and how or why you're trying to get there. Why limit yourself to a set of tools that don't work is the general contradiction, I think, here. It's like you have all these tools, these ASCs available to you, and you don't necessarily know what they are. You don't, they haven't taken a form yet. But at the same time, you have this, this tool belt of, of states of mind that you can be in. And you are limited in how many you can be in. I mean, there, there is limits by your own biology there. But at the same time, if you're constantly picking up the exact same ASCs and expecting some new variation in your life, well, you're in for quite the pickle because it's never going to happen. It's or quite be the a, disappointment. Right. right. Quite, quite the disappointment. Yeah, exactly. And, and so it's like you got to be also realizing when you might need to substitute a common ASC that you use. Right. Maybe maybe alcohol is, is one of your ASCs that you like to engage and you're not that big of a drinker, which is fine. And, and you only drink socially. Right. But 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 is that that ASC that it puts you in when you're in those social context, providing the variability for you to grow as an individual and to actually be able to be more adaptable? That, I mean, it's, it's an open question. It's rhetorical, but I think this is how you should be thinking about these things is I can only really shuffle or juggle around these many ASCs and know how to use them effectively. Right. And that's the key thing is like, I can have all these ASCs, but I only know how to use like four of them effectively. Right. It's like, so figure out what those four are for you and, and, and don't be afraid to substitute them because an ASC that worked at time equals zero might not work at time equals whatever. And, and, and that's the real key. And that's the whole value of of con constantly pursuing these new ASCs in a sense. And, and maybe, we, maybe we wrap up here with that. I, mean, I think that's a great thought to depart on. Essentially, if I were to try and metaphorically recap what you just said, it's almost like playing a game of Scrabble where each piece could be a different ASC. And it really does matter on how and where you place that piece in the order of the game. Otherwise, you're not actually going to form any sort of coherent word. It's just going to be nonsense. And the way we enact these changes and also establish a toolkit that you either have to find and replace or have been given randomly, you use these tools available to you in order to create your your order, your new ASC. Your sequence through life. Exactly. Right? And I think that's that's perfect. Great analogy. And this has been episode 12 of the Certain Uncertainty podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thanks, everyone. If you made it this far into the podcast and want to hear more content, please consider following us on Spotify, iTunes, or YouTube and sharing today's podcast link with your close friends. We hope this podcast incites you to start some interesting conversations and expand on some of the ideas we've discussed. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Certain Uncertainty Podcast, a podcast aimed at unveiling the certainly uncertain relationships between some of the most complex systems known to man.